sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. They did everything they could to destroy Trump. He's still president. He's improving in his poll numbers. The economy is growing. Uh, and on most major issues, the country is much closer to Trump than it is to radical Democrats. As Biden tries to rekindle Democrats' fond memories of the Obama era, Bernie Sanders is searching for a spark. He's now trailing Biden and Elizabeth Warren in a Monmouth poll of Nevada Democrats far behind Biden and Bernie. There's Beto. But look, whether it be with China, whether it be with other countries around the world, this president has been willing to use the economic power of the strongest economy in the history of the world in using access to our market in the form of tariffs to put American jobs and American workers first. And now, Stacey Washington. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back. <laughs> okay, we're going to go straight to the phones. And then, obviously, super excited to speak to Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. He's a friend. He's, he's someone that I was, first of all, I was so excited to see him run. So excited to see him win. So excited to see him working down in Jeff City on behalf of us Missourians. We need people like Jay Ashcroft, and he has a family legacy of uh, just working on behalf of the American people. Um, his father uh, was the Attorney General of the United States, and so he's he's just it, it's just going to be so fun to talk to him. And also, we are going to chat about, in, in addition to updates on our our saga, our continuing saga with the heartbeat bill here in the state of Missouri. Um, and the referendum petition that has been launched by um, an individual who wants to basically see the repeal of HB 126. Um, we're going to talk about the Blues winning the Stanley Cup last night. That that happened, y'all. That happened. And so you might be thinking, Stacey, are you a hockey fan? Well, um, okay, let's be let's just be real here. I'm sometimey. Like I'm sometimey with the cards. I totally have cards gear. I have Blues gear. But I'm sometimey with them because um, when <laughs> when they're winning, I'm all about it and I have all my gear. And when they're not winning, I still I care for them, but I don't I don't really express anything. So that that's just who I am, y'all. I'm sorry. Um, DJ in Arkansas. Hey, thanks for for holding over on the break and thanks for calling the show. You're very welcome. It was well worth the wait. You are outstanding. Oh, thank and you. I, I can't I, I can't compliment you enough on how eloquent you are. Uh, the the intelligence is just screaming uh, through the radio, and it's that's it's so comforting, being that uh, I'm I spend a lot of time in a truck, so I'm constantly searching through uh, channels, looking for I don't know if I if I can mention other hosts on your program or not. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> well, well, I mean I'm a huge Mark Levin, Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, Alan West, whenever I can catch him, Herman Cain. Mm, the standards, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And and I just wish, I just wish I had a tablet or something that has different stations that I can tune to instead of just having to search through them all. Anyway, um, I you, you mentioned about I'm trying to guard my my language. You mentioned how liberals have the mind of ping pong balls, and what I see <laughs> is that the men men uh behave as though they're castrated and the women are totally the opposite. They're they like men. They seem to be <laughs> too much. And, and, You're right. And in such a forceful way. And 
Rush has a good term for that, but I don't want to be I don't want to be crossing over to different what his terminology, um, which I think is exactly spot on. He calls them feminazis, and that's and that's exactly how they they, they behave. And um, I mentioned to this this wonderful man who answered the phone. It just popped into my mind when when I was explaining what uh, I wanted to talk about, which I'm, I'm basically done. I'm furious that Mitt Romney can be a doormat during the debates when he was running for president. I don't even want to mention the name of the, the man he, he was running against. But he practically lays down and, and is a doormat for him. But he's going after Donald Trump <laughs> for basically toying with the media. He's like the, the cat, the, uh, the, the little dot on the wall with the cat. <laughs> yeah, and they just the keep, it just keeps running. Exactly, you know. You're, so you're right on that theme, and you and you you are right on. And there's so many other things I, I could I I would love to say, but just God bless you. God bless this wonderful country, and God bless Donald Trump and Michael Pence. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much, DJ. I, so <laughs> I have to say, uh, first of all, it's awesome. I love the fact that you you keep yourself entertained while you're driving and moving products across the country for us Americans to buy and to you know help feed the nation um, that you're tuned into all good conservative radio. And I so I, I feel like on on the one hand, you know, we are so blessed. Obviously, it's that that's the overarching. It's not one hand. It's the overarching thing is that we're so blessed and we get to live here and we get to fight about these things. But on the other hand, it is a, it is an interesting dichotomy the way the dynamic is for liberal women. They're angry. They're in charge. You know, they're they're running everything. And then for the rest of us, you know, for on the conservative side, um, we're a little less strident. We're you know, we're laid back. We're we're running stuff, us women, um, but we're we're not doing it in spite of men or to put men down. We're just basically like, hey, you know, I got my lane. I'm over here. I'm doing this and I'm doing it in partnership with the men in my life. You know, my son and our son, our son, my husband, um, you know, e- even I, my dad, you know, my father and my mom, they they have their life, but I'm a part of it. And and. So it's never to put any man down that I'm doing what I'm doing or to subvert any man. It's more like I just have this thing that I get to do and I do so with the, you know, with, with the approval of my husband. And I don't mean that I had to say, may I, it's more like he was saying, yes, that's your, that's what you're supposed to be doing. I support that. And I was like, oh, good. You know, cause it feels good to know that you think this is a good idea too, and you know, what does this look like? And there've been many times where I've said, I have this opportunity and I, th- I wonder, what do you think about this? And he'll, he will give me his genuine opinion. And it comes from a place of wanting the best for me. And it just feels so different than what I see and observe with liberal women who seem to always be at odds with men and to view them as the enemy. And even to say horrible things about their own sons, I'm afraid my son's going to grow up to be a rapist. Why? Why would any mom be afraid their son was going to grow up to be a rapist instead of owning that your mothering of your son plays a role in that? Ultimately, it's personal responsibility, but you're raising him. There's no fear. It's, it's, I know I'm not raising any rapists over here. How about that? <laughs> you know, where's his father? Best way to make sure you don't raise a rapist his father should be there teaching him how men protect and serve women. 
it's so it's just like you know it's not going to happen and then the and of course the the ultimate line of defense you pray over that young man from the moment you know he's coming and every day thereafter you're just praying that God would give him wisdom and self-control and strength and peace and that he would be a protector a provider and someone who serves women and I don't mean serves like he's bringing the dinner or cooking it. No, that is not what I mean. And is that sexist for me to say that it's not, that's not his role? Of course, there are men out there who love to cook. There are chefs, everything. But I'm talking about that traditional home model where a man is coming home from the workplace and he smells something fantastic going on and that he knows that's his dinner. An act of love from his wife that he's going to have some dinner going on when he gets home from the workplace. That's what I'm talking about. You know, if he works from home, maybe you're going to take him a nice hot lunch in there to where he's working from home. Let him have a little something. It's just, just let's make that happen, right? And so that's the difference I see between the point that DJ makes is so, it's so brilliant because there's not a lot of happiness there. And I'm, I'm saying that out of not to gloat or to, you know, point fingers, but to say that it doesn't look happy. It doesn't look fun. It doesn't look satisfying. To be in a relationship with someone where you're constantly at war with them and your your overarching political ideology is one that says that your husband is a part of a patriarchy and he's your enemy. And if he's not a part of the patriarchy and, and, and is your enemy, that he is someone to be pitied because he he's a victim. Who wants to be married to a victim? I'd rather be married to a victor, someone who I know is leading the household and leading the charge and getting it done. Someone who I know he's, he's a prayer warrior. He's also the leader and of the household, meaning he's responsible knowing that you're taken care of. That's what, that's what women are looking for. And women who aren't looking for that, they're railing against it because deep down they do want it, but they're too ashamed to say anything because feminists tell them they couldn't, then you're not allowed to want a man to take care of you. Well, good luck with that feminists. <laughs> Y'all are looking unhappy and the wrinkles are coming on because, you know, being unhappy brings on wrinkles. It's true. I'm sorry. It's true. Uh, So, all right, back to the show sheet. I have so much content here Um, because today I was like, Lord, please give me a show. And now I have a show and I also have great callers. And so I'm grateful for all that. Okay. So, you know, the impeachment hysteria is still going on. And I found this little bit of audio from Newt Gingrich. So we'll listen to that. And then I want to jump into these companies exiting China. This is fascinating because Donald Trump said it would happen. And everyone says he's a liar and he's not that smart. And all. Yeah, but didn't he say, did he not say they would leave and now it's happening? Um, okay, I could gloat about that, but here's number four. Sure, I think they look nuts. I mean, Mueller himself looked nuts. You come out and you say, you know, the Russians that we've indicted are innocent until proven guilty. But now the president, we haven't proven him innocent yet. Just think about that, that paragraph and what Mueller said. Uh, and now you've got the Democrats who are saying, all right, well, maybe we can't impeach him, but we all know he's a criminal. Well, how do they know that? But I, th- I think you have to start out where the fascist left is. Free speech means you're not allowed to speak. Uh, the whole model of the way they deal with things, if you say anything wrong, you're either homophobic, Islamophobic, you know, something. Um, and so their, their normal behavior is to just make stuff up. Uh, there's no evidence 
that the president has been guilty of anything, and that's, you, you had two years, Mueller had 15 left-wing Democratic lawyers, um, all, all of them, by the way, very good prosecutors. He had, I think, $30 million. He locked up at least two people in solitary confinement uh, for lengths of time that, frankly, are un-American, and he couldn't find anything. Now, at that point, the Democrats ought to go on and talk about policy and recognize that this is this is really a dry hole. They're not they're not going to get anything good out of this. So they're not. Um, so th- this is what this is what I would hope would happen. And one thing I am one thing I am confident of because I had a friend tell me the other day um, that he doesn't expect things to get better. That the censor- censorship will get worse because of the time frame and history that we're in, where you know. Some people believe, and please don't get upset with me for sharing what he shared with me as if to say that you are wrong if this is not what you believe. We, none of us know the day, the hour, or the time when Jesus will return, okay? So that's accepted. That's biblical. I didn't write that, didn't make it up, not responsible for it. But we do know that the signs of the times will point to the hastening of Christ's return, right? So when we hear about the censorship, uh, the, the crackdowns on freedom, the oppression of Christians around the world, and even oppression, things that approach oppression here in our country, um, like what happened with Baronel Stutzman and uh, Jack Phillips and, and uh, all the different things that are happening across the country where liberals have just had it with Christians and they're ready to just throw down. They're ready to put people and, and the anti-Semitism, the rise of anti-Semitism in Europe and, and even seeing signs of it here in this country. And so when, when we see that, um, it points to, you know, well, things may get worse. But I also am of the mindset that the closer we get to the Father, it can get worse, but we know what happens at the end. We know the end of the story. We know that we ultimately, we don't just win, we are victorious in every way. And that in the end, we will be Ultimately, the reward is just too great to quantify, to to describe, to for us to even be able to understand. And so what we we just have to hold on to that, right? So if you're looking at the, the kind of in hysteria with the Democrats or the or the the you know different things that are happening, what we get to do is be excited about it, be happy about it, um, knowing that God is in control. And that he will be able to give us joy. Ultimately, we will be joyful in spite of our circumstances, no matter what. And also the Democrats are going to look stupid because their brains are the size of ping pong balls. Okay, (laughs) when we get back, we have Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. (laughs) It's amazing, but true. When it comes to one of America's biggest household expenditures, health care, a lot of people think they've got no choice. People are used to thinking we have to do it this way but they don't. Yes, you have the freedom to choose an alternative with your healthcare. It's MediShare and it costs way less than the alternatives. The typical family saves $500 a month, not a year, a month. And if you're single, this can save you a lot too. And let's face it, a big reason MediShare is 400,000 people strong, it just works. They've shared over 3 billion in medical bills so they can help share your needs too. Joining MediShare for so many people is one of those things that makes you say, Why didn't I do this before? So yes, the time has come for something better. Look into joining MediShare and see why so many people are opting out of the old way and into the new. Why not look into this? Just call 855-PSALM-23. That's 855-PSALM-23. 
855-PSALM-23. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. A phrase they often use is, he who defines the words often wins the debate. I've seen this play out in debates, discussions, and interviews. I've also seen how the way you define terms can influence the reader's perception. That is why the latest information about the style guides being used in the media are a reminder to exercise discernment. Take the issue of climate change, or what used to be called global warming. That change alone should signal the fact that words and definitions are being manipulated so that readers could come to a particular conclusion. The Guardian recently updated its style guide in order to show their increased concern over the environment. For example, climate change will now be referred to as a climate emergency crisis or breakdown. The term global warming doesn't seem hot enough, so it will now be called global heating. And a skeptic of all this will now be called a climate science denier. Abortion is another illustration. For years, I've complained that the terms are not parallel. Someone who supports abortion is not called pro-abortion, but is given the more neutral term pro-choice. However, you can't call someone pro-life because they must be labeled anti-abortion. Jared Stepman reports that NPR has now told its reporters that certain words are off-limits. Those would be the terms pro-life, late-term abortion, fetal heartbeat, and partial birth. Then you might wonder, what are you supposed to call a partial birth abortion? The term of choice is intact dilation and extraction. I doubt anyone outside the medical field even knows what that means. Also off-limits are terms like abortion doctor and abortion clinics. These changes seem aimed to try to obscure what happens in abortion clinics and manipulate language that can disguise what abortion really is. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. For a free copy of Kirby's booklet, A Biblical View on Socialism, go to viewpoints.info socialism. That's viewpoints.info socialism. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey there, welcome back to the program. Find out more about me at StacyOnTheRight.com and at StacyOnTheRight on Twitter and Instagram. It's my pleasure to welcome my friend. Uh, he's the Missouri Secretary of State, Jay Ashcroft. He's also an American attorney, engineer, and politician. He's the 40th Secretary of State of the great Show Me State of Missouri. Jay, thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. I'm afraid my voice is a little bit gone. There was something last night that I was doing a lot of yelling and screaming and celebrating about. Something happened last night. I wonder why you were, you know, so exuberantly expressing yourself. What what could that have been? Stanley's Cup has finally (laughs) come to stay in St. Louis. I'm so excited. So I had on my gear yesterday. So my husband, he doesn't watch hockey, right? And I can't, I can't say that I watch hockey often, but when it's something like this, like I've been paying attention and last night I was into it and I just was thinking to myself, we're going to win this. We're going to win this. And we did. It was a spectacular game and it (laughs) wasn't a game about participation. It wasn't a game about whether people just showed up to play. It was a competition. It was both teams trying as hard as they could, fighting it out within the rules. And, of course, Missouri was victorious. The Blues won. It was awesome. It was. And so now some of our friends have the Stanley Cup as their Facebook Abby. Like the, the, and it's such a interesting-looking like thing, this big, huge, enormous Stanley Cup. Um, yep. And I can't wait till it gets here. This This is just... It's a great moment for us, and I loved how yesterday, all this week, other sports teams in Missouri have been responding and supporting the Blues and, you know, overflow, like showing the game in the the Cardinals 
uh, stadium, mm-hmm. all that stuff. It was just, it was so nice to see all of us together, like not fighting, just being Missourians. That's Missouri, just like the way Jefferson City came together after the tornado and everyone helped out. I mean, that's just the way life ought to be. It's, it's not the coast, it's the Midwest, and that's why I love living here. Me too, me too. So speaking of Jeff City, um, there's this, so first of all, we've been so excited, and we even had a rally last Friday where we, we were speaking and praying and enjoying ourselves over the passage and signing into law of HB 126, Missouri's heartbeat bill, by our governor, Governor Parsons. And so in response to that, the liberals are obviously really upset. They're angry. And someone, kind of an unexpected person, has put forward not just, I think, not one, but three. There have been three initiative petitions put forward. And they, they would bring the eight, the heartbeat bill to a referendum vote that people would vote for. And what they do is do a ton of really negative false advertising for months leading up to it and get the entire state to vote against a piece of legislation that was passed and enacted by a duly elected legislature through the will of the people. Yeah, there have been three referendum petitions. One was filed by the ACLU. Two were filed by an attorney for a businessman in Joplin, Missouri, David Humphreys. And they would uh, try to put something that the legislature said was an emergency that it needed to go into effect to protect the health and welfare of the people of Missouri, they'd try to delay the implementation of that law. Uh, Missouri does allow for referendums. It's in our Constitution. But the Constitution specifically says that if you have a law that is necessary for the immediate safety, public welfare, health of the people of the state, and the legislature finds that and passes it with the appropriate two-thirds vote, it may not be referred to the people. So those first two referendums, um, I looked at the law, I looked at the Constitution and and what the Supreme Court had said, and I had no choice but to reject those referendums. The second referendum petition would have just put a portion of the law before the people, and Missouri's Constitution, unlike other constitutions, does not allow for a portion of a law to be referred to the people. It's all or nothing. So I had to reject that third referendum petition also. So all three, just just to be clear here, all three have been rejected. What do you think they're going to do now? Um, Well, on two of them, we've already been sued. We had our first hearing in court on Tuesday. Um, It was somewhat comical. Uh, The judge had to let the other side know kind of at the very beginning that they had, frankly, screwed up what they had filed with the court and said, look, if you want to try to amend what you filed to make it make sense, We'll let you do that. So we're going to be back in court on Monday. Um, but the precedent's clear. Um, the people of Missouri uh, have a constitution, and that constitution does not allow for a referendum of a law that's already in effect. It does not allow for uh, a partial referendum. And if the people of Missouri want to change that, they may. But that's not for a court to change. That's for the people to change. The Constitution of Missouri has never been changed without a vote of the people, and we're not going to start that now. So you've been really strong on this, you and the governor. Um, and I know that that doesn't come easily. There, you had a lot of pushback. I know you get a lot of really angry constituents on the opposing side of the pro-life issue who, you know, they, they're trying to get you to come around to their view. Um, how... How do you withstand the onslaught? How, how do you stand up on this issue? And I know it, you're deeply pro-life. You believe this, but it's still a question worth asking, especially for people who are, you, we all face opposition in our lives, but you're at, at one of those, 
you're over the target. You are very visible and in public leadership over the entire state. And this issue is not just like a hot button. It's like a blazing volcanic fire here in Missouri. You know, I always tell my wife that I don't go looking for trouble, um, (laughs) but she would suggest that I'm the sort of person that when I find it, I dig in. Um, And I just, I have the great privilege of representing the people of the state as their secretary of state. And for me, it's what does the law say? What does the law require? We are a nation of laws and not of men. And um, it's not about what is uh, polling better or not at any given time. There's a process that has to be followed. And um, for me, it's really easy just to stand on what the law and the Constitution says. Now, having said that, it was nice that the law required that. I have a 10-year-old son that tried to be born at 20 weeks, was born at 25 weeks. That's in the second trimester. Um, He was alive. He was a child uh, that entire time. So, you know, when I have seen that child that I was told would die every day for five weeks, and when he was finally born, he fit in the palm of my hand, was a pound and a quarter, spent four and a half months in the the NICU before he got out, spent about, I don't know, a third of the first two years of his life in a hospital. I believe that life is precious. Um, But in this issue, it was very easy for me because the law was clear, and I was thankful that that's the way the law and the Constitution read. So that's a very personal story that really is, it's it's the kind of testimonial that I wish I could hear given in, in the face of these abortion supporters, because everything they're saying about what we're dealing with here, the life issue, everything they're saying is untrue and not scientifically supported and also anecdotally. Um, and, and statistically inaccurate because we now know that viability keeps, we keep getting closer and closer to the first trimester for, for viability. Like we're yep. literally able to save babies who, as you said, fit a baby that fits in the palm of your hand. And then that baby can grow up and, and be just as healthy and functioning as anyone else. And, and that's a life that's worth living. It's a life that's worth saving. Um, the, the rabidity and the, uh, it's just like a, a, odor, like an, an angry, disgusting, foul stench that's coming from these Planned Parenthood supporters. It's just so, it's just so antithetical to what you just shared. So I'm, there's one more thing I wanted to ask you about. We have, we have sure. some more time here. So tell me about this, this judge and the situation with the Planned Parenthood where, and I've been following this, but I just, I don't understand how Planned Parenthood doesn't have to follow the same laws and regulations for safety that the Missouri Health Department puts out for every clinic, eye care clinics, outpatient care clinics, cosmetic clinics. Planned Parenthood is in violation of the Missouri Health Department's requests for safety. Yet a judge has said they can remain open and their license cannot be suspended. And he's giving them special, basically dispensation to continue to operate just because they do abortions? My understanding, and I haven't followed that case as closely because I've got several lawsuits that where I'm named, so I'm a little bit more focused on those. Yeah. But my understanding is what the judge has said is that the department has to make a decision on the license. It has to be an up or down yes or no so that there then can be judicial review for whether or not the, the clinic can stay open. I, I think it's, 
interesting that he's allowed them to, to continue on past their license. Um, I would say clearly uh, in American jurisprudence, judges have frequently had their thumb down in favor of abortionists. Um, you look at some of the laws that seemingly restrict free speech of people that are pro-life, and judges have, have you know, they, they create zones where you're not allowed to, to speak up and protect life and other things. I think anytime you are on the side of, of trying to protect life and uh, trying to uh, save those children from being aborted, it's like the deck is stacked against you once you go to court. And I'm really thankful that Missouri is doing what it's doing uh, and that they're following the law, that they're following the right process. And I think that lives will be saved because of it. You know, I, I'm, I am too. I, I echo your comments. But I, it also brings into stark relief something that we have kind of maybe dropped the ball on a little bit, but now we're seeing the president really play catch up fast. And that is we need better quality judges who would rule based on what the Constitution says, not their personal political ideology. The president has been so good about bringing forward great candidates. And then Mitch McConnell has been leading the Senate on confirming these judges and filling our courts with people who believe in the Constitution. And if anything demonstrates why that's so important, it's this story that we're discussing about this judge. He's he's not he's not, in my opinion, I'm not a lawyer. Don't play one on TV. I leave the legal parts to you. But I don't I don't feel like he ruled in a way that really honors what the Missouri Constitution says or gives deference to the Missouri Department of Health. We clearly have a problem with the way we select judges and with some of the judges we have on the bench. In 2016, the people of Missouri passed a constitutional amendment to allow a photo ID requirement in the state. I will be back in court before the Missouri Supreme Court in July because we had a judge tell us we couldn't enforce that last November. Even though he said it wasn't unconstitutional, even though 63% of the voting public said, we want this, even though the plaintiffs couldn't point to a single individual that was stopped from voting, and we could point to individuals that were allowed to vote under the new law, but not under the old law, we were told that we couldn't enforce it. We definitely have a problem uh, with the judiciary, and we need the legislature and the executive to stand up and say, wait a minute, our country is not run by the judiciary. We have three branches of the government, and we need to stand up for the rule of law and for what the law actually says. And the, and we know that this is their preferred mechanism for overturning the will of the people. People vote and put Republicans in charge of the legislature here in Missouri. If you want this kind of, you know, Marxist, fascist, fascist communist type, you know, dealings, you can move to Illinois. It's really close. Just move over there. Um, but well, but they sure need people with money, though. That, they that don't. They, they, well, they, they really need uh, more more bodies. But the. What's funny about it, Jay, is that this is the this is the mechanism. We see it every single time. If Republican voters in the state of Missouri and often independents and Democrats also support these policies, otherwise, how could they get passed? We pass something. And then what they do is some activist or the ACLU just takes it straight to the court and the court nullifies the will of the people. We need better judges who will not do the things that they feel like, you know, Democrats want them to do, but they will really look at what our Constitution says. I cannot agree with you more. That is that that's what our country is based on. We, we, we don't let one dictator or one individual. You cannot have a free society 
without knowing what the law is and being able to clearly read it yourself. When you have to have a court tell you, no, this is what the word the means or is means, that isn't what you think it means, you truly can't have a free society. All right. Well, I what I got to say is, first of all, let's go blues again. I have to say it again. I could keep oh, saying it. Was, it. it was so awful. Cool. It was so cool. Um, and then also, thank you so much for um, for coming on. When I So I got a friend who, see, I, a bunch of my friends, will, like if there's something going on, they'll say, call this legislator. And so I get the text message. I'm like, ooh, I'm, I've got to get him on the show. So I called and spoke to someone in the office. I was like, it's Stacey Washington. I want to have Mr. Ashcroft on the show and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, okay. And she transferred me over. And then, of course, I thought I'm going to get lost, like in the like voicemail, email <laughs> type thing. But instead, I got a call back immediately. And then I was getting texts yesterday. And I was like, this is happening. I'm so glad. So you have to come back on again and update us the next when there's next developments here, because this is a national story. And I'm glad to see you at the helm. I think you're you're the right tool for the right job here. And, and it's going to get done the right way because you're working this thing through. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. All right. Talk to you again soon. It's Missouri Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft. He is really strong on these issues. And the personal backstory there to me is so touching and so relevant. And I just I would love to see a person who's pro-abortion hear that story and contend with the truths that undergird that. Like you how do you say, well, abortion up until the very last minute, like up until birth. And he was talking about his son being hand-sized, palm of your hand-sized. And now is it, you know, a kid running around just doing everything, probably getting into stuff and, you know, giving them a run for their money. How do you, how do you reconcile those two things? I, I'm, my hope is that you wouldn't, that you wouldn't reconcile those two things, that you would recognize the glory of God in our medicine and in the, the fields of pediatrics that we're able to save babies at that stage. That's where we should be, not pro-abortion, not pro-quote-unquote choice, which means nothing. That just, that's just a euphemism for murder. And you know what I'm sick of? Euphemisms, among other things. Also, brains the size of ping pong balls. Sick of that, too. All right, so I promised you more tech manufacturing companies exiting China, Nintendo, and Sharp plan exits. This is against intense leveraging being applied by President Trump. Beijing doubled down and threatened punishment against any company that would leave China and begin manufacturing elsewhere. You know what? Eat it, communists. You can't stop. You can't stop us from leaving. That's a totalitarian response, by the way, and it's totally expected. And China is counting on prior Western investment being so significant that a corporation would be reluctant to withdraw. And Sony, Sharp, I'm sorry, and Nintendo said, yeah, we're leaving. <laughs> All right. I have more stories for you right after this. I'm Stacey Washington. She was a baby girl left abandoned on a doorstep in China. Our friends met her in that orphanage that had saved her life, and they adopted her. And believe me, she's not an orphan anymore. There are a lot of folks who have felt orphaned for much of their lives, either left behind or left alone. Maybe you know the feeling. Well, just like that little girl, someone went a long way to get you. Someone who chose you. He's adopted a lot of spiritual orphans into his family, and he's ready to adopt you too. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. We've been cut off from the Heavenly Father by choosing to run a life that he was supposed to run. So we feel spiritually fatherless. 
But God's Son came all the way from heaven to that awful cross to pay for your sins and give you the chance to be His. You can belong to Him by saying, Jesus, I'm yours. It's something we'd love to help you do. Call us at 888-NEED-HIM or go to chataboutjesus.com. You will never feel orphaned again. The Ministry of Preborn meets abortion-minded women right where they are. When a young mom sees her baby on ultrasound, she's 80% more likely to keep her baby. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry. And it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. This mom chose life for her baby. She's been such a joy. Her name even means rebirth and sort of being raised up from the ashes. Uh, I now see my daughter and I cannot imagine my life without my happy, lovely, joyful, smart baby. And I'm so grateful. Preborn runs and leads Christian pregnancy centers all over the country. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. Military Matters. For most people, therapy sessions happen on a leather couch. For Brandon Webb, it's his 1985 Sakata Epsilon. For me, flying is very therapeutic. I get a shot of adrenaline, but it's kind of like yoga and meditation because you're forced, it for, you're just forced to concentrate on one thing and you can't think about anything else. So it's kind of this mind eraser. Webb spent time in Iraq and Afghanistan as a Navy SEAL sniper. And for all too many war veterans, returning home from the military means coping with post-traumatic stress disorder. To help combat that anxiety, Webb found an outlet. So can I uh, get my therapy session with you then? Of course, yeah, okay. and I don't charge that much. Taking to the skies over Manhattan, Webb didn't disappoint with the adrenaline, doing a 360 loop-the-loop -loop off the coast of Manhattan, followed by an up-close view of the Statue of Liberty. But Webb understands that this therapy may not be for everybody. He just knows it works for him. Just for me, it's been a positive way to kind of deal with, with my own transition. With Military Matters, Christina Partsnevelis, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. This is a fairly toothless uh, gesture by the House to show their contempt for the rule of law and for the American people by continuing this Russia investigation and Mueller investigation charade. I mean, this is really Jerry Nadler kind of looking at the disemboweled entrails of this Mueller investigation and seeing what he can salvage from it. It's a quite a pathetic spectacle. But uh, the attorney general has struck the right tone with these people, is going to give them a little bit of information if they want it, although it's not their job to see it. Welcome back. Welcome back to the program. Uh, we are so glad to be with you today. And I did uh, start off the story just before the end of the last segment. And what I want to do is just kind of wrap it up. Um, China counting on a major, um, a major prior Western investment. So basically saying, look, they've spent so much money here. They have everything set up here. Their systems are here. They can't, they're, they're not going to be able to pull out. Well, Yes and no. With the tariffs being at the current level, companies are having to scramble and make decisions that mean if they have to do investment someplace else, they're basically looking at their bottom line and they're saying the tariffs are going to cost us this, which means we pass that price on to our consumers, which increases the price, which means our consumers are going to look at goods from this company over here. So the cost of that is this. And the cost of moving our production to Vietnam or South Korea 
up looks like it's this. So in the end, we know Vietnam, South Korea, these are more Western friendly countries, um, not communist. So we can probably count on much longer term relations and we don't have to worry about them stealing our intellectual property. So the gamble is one that ultimately it, it is the most important thing that can be done. You have to look to the future and say, this has worked in the past. Being in China was actually a great deal in the past, but in the future, it looks like it might be a better deal to move someplace else. And it's not small potatoes for Nintendo and Sharp to make this uh, this change. So these companies are looking for financial security and stability. And so the first announcement comes from Nintendo Company. It's, it comes out of Tokyo. Nintendo moves some Switch production out of China. They're moving some of the production of their Switch video game console, which we, we're Switch users here, I should say. Daughter the Youngest is a Switch user. <laughs> um, the Switch video game console to Southeast Asia from China to limit the impact of possible U.S. Ch- tariffs on Chinese-made electronics. And this is people who work in Nintendo's supply chain who are reporting this. This is another example of manufacturers adapting to the tariff threat. Um, Kyoto-based Nintendo has traditionally relied on the Chinese factories of contract assembly companies to make their video game hardware, which includes the Switch console, which was introduced in 2017. Now, Taiwan's Foxconn Technology Group said Tuesday that they were ready to move assembly of Apple's iPhones out of China if necessary. And Japan's Sharp Corporation, which is controlled by Foxconn, said last week that it planned to move production of personal computers to Taiwan or Vietnam. This is huge. So remember, President Trump highlighted on May 13th that there would be an exodus of multinational manufacturing away from China. Uh, And let me let me say that one more time, because one thing I hate is if like just for example, if I say, hey, you know what, if you do that. You might not be happy to see that happen. And then later when it happens, everybody's just whistling Dixie and acting like I didn't warn you. Don't act like I didn't warn you. This is the same thing, only this is Donald Trump, which makes it far more important than any tiny prognostications I might have made about tertiary matters here right right where I am on the ground. The president said there will be an exodus of multinational manufacturing away from China if they don't come to the table and start dealing with us equal to equal. Well, he also said corporations will ship their purchase agreements, manufacturing and assembly plans to ASEAN countries outside the investment risk zone that is now China. So some of the nuance, which includes specific references within President Trump's tweets, have to do with Japan, Shinzo Abe, Vietnam, President Trang Dai Quang, and South Korea, or Chorus, the Philippines and India, who are all positioned to pick the business up. And you know how this works. You have seen it so many times on the personal level. When one person drops the ball, there's always somebody else who's equipped who can step in and be like, bing, bam, boom, I'm right there. I've always been right here, but now it's my chance to show. I I can do a little something. Throw me some of that business. And in the business world, companies are always looking for these kinds of vulnerabilities. They're always poised and ready. They're five-year and 10-year plans include opportunities to pick up business from other companies that might be, you know how it is, a company gets huge and then the family members start marrying and getting divorced and it's privately owned. And before you know it, huge portions of the country or of the company are now owned 
by people who are divorced from the original family members. And then those family members are trying to get those pieces of the company back, but they've overspent, they're overextended, they can't do it. So then what happens? Others come in and they start just snapping up what they can because they're thinking, if I can keep snapping this up at some point, it might be available for me to do a little bit of hostile taking over or even some friendly taking over. I like this business. That's how Anheuser-Busch came to be Anheuser-Busch InBev. That little Belgian man came over here almost 40 years ago and took a tour, the same tour that me and my family, my husband and the kids and I took this tour back when they were teeny tiny tater tots. And he saw the beer cans and the beer bottles on a conveyor belt that run all the way around the entire factory and all the walls are made of glass and the beer gets put into each bottle and then it carries on down the assembly thing, all of it on like a snake, like a ribbon. And when it gets down to the bottom, then the caps get put on and then they get gingerly dropped by machine into these boxes, you know, cases of beer for shipping out to the distributorships all over the country. And the snake-like apparatus that carries the bottles and the cans runs around a glass-enclosed room, which is their boardroom, also known as their war room, that was made, and, and inside it was a huge conference table made out of a single piece of wood from a tree that was apparently 800 years old that Anheuser-Busch, the original Anheuser guy, he found it, cut the tree down, had it milled one piece of wood that 18 people could sit around and then made custom leather chairs and put it in this, this conference room when they remodeled the factory. And all of the buildings that the, the bottling, the original headquarters is located in, they're these old clay red brick buildings, turn of the century and before, all located. Anheuser-Busch has almost like their own little town down there. We used to live just over the highway from it. And so this little Belgian man came to St. Louis and toured the, the, because it's a public tour. You even get to see Clydesdales on the tour. They have a stable inside of the area that you can walk, you walk through, you can pet the Clydesdales, et cetera. He takes the tour and he says to himself, it's like 25, 30 years ago. He says, one day, he's a, he's a beer company owner in Belgium. He says, one day my company will be big enough to buy this company. He went back to Belgium and told his board, we will one day own Anheuser-Busch. I've been to it and I've seen it and I want nothing more than to own it for ourselves. I want that to be a part of our company. And a few people in the board meeting were kind of laughed and said, that's crazy. It's family owned. It's never been up for sale. Why would they ever let a plum like that go? And then after that, he kept working on growing their Belgian beer company. And they expanded outside of Belgium and went into other uh, European nations and bought other companies. And every time some Anheuser-Busch stock came up because of a divorce, their company bought it. Every time... Some of that stock came up in chunks. They bought it. And then I don't know how long it's been, if it's been nine or 10 years or whatever they bought it. They bought Anheuser-Busch. It was a big announcement in the newspaper here that the last bit of stock that pushed it from 51% ownership by the Bush family to 49% and that they were susceptible to a hostile takeover by some little Belgian man. Well, they didn't call him a little Belgian man, but you understand what I'm saying. And... Then before you know it, we're like people were freaking out here in St. Louis because Anheuser-Busch 
is an original St. Louis institution, an original, you know, major corporate company, corporate by Fortune 500, you know, just the whole nine, major employer for this region, everything. And I just remember the people were not only freaking out, but there were all these discussions. And what did that little Belgian man do when they completed the sale of the company? They were talking about selling off Grant's Farm because Grant's Farm is owned by the, the Bush family. Well, they didn't do that, even though it's not profitable. They don't charge enough for you to get in. You only pay for parking. There, It has no entrance fee. Well, it didn't then. Um, they didn't sell that off because it was a public relations nightmare. But they did go in and cut that conference table into pieces and haul it out to herald the new ownership of Anheuser-Busch InBev, as in this ain't Anheuser-Busch only anymore. And that is the... That, that is just proof positive that if the Chinese think they've got something that is ironclad and that they cannot be taken over, their manufacturing hegemony cannot be sliced into pieces and hauled out and thrown onto a pile of wood and burned, that they're somehow immune to other countries and other companies taking over the business that they're tossing away by not coming to the table with Donald Trump. They haven't read enough business stories. They haven't read enough business books. They don't understand capitalism and they don't understand the business mind. And that's the danger of communism. It makes you unable to understand other mechanisms because they're so foreign to you because of the totalitarian nature of everything that you're subjected to. So it, it is fascinating to watch as because these are just the warning shots over the bow. Nintendo, uh, Sharp Corporation. For Foxconn to be making these kinds of moves, it's do or die time. They can come to the table at any point and negotiate based on the parameters that the president and his team put forward when they first started talking. And you would hope that they would, but all they want to do is steal our intellectual property and supplant us as the world superpower. So why should we stay there? This could be the best thing that President Trump could accomplish during his, his presidency so far. It's getting American companies out of China. So, you know, the communists are only going to do what they know how to do, right? They're not going to change their stripes. They're not going to figure out new things. They're going, they're going to do what they've always done in the same totalitarian way. They have a communist country. They have a communist controlled market. Their entire system is communistic. Um, so the reaction from them is actually pretty predictable, not to negotiate, not to try to figure out how they can make something work, but to just make threats, you know, whatever, threaten away um, the state. And, and so the danger here is that when communists suspect that they're losing control of something, they move to exert utter and complete control over it. So what companies have to do now is they have to kind of be aware that if you make moves without actually having moved your stuff, you could lose everything you already have there. It's not like you're going to have an orderly transition where you send uh, you know, a bunch of moving orders over there and move your equipment and all the stuff you've built and invested your stuff over. You've invested time and money and resources in China and you're going to go over and get your equipment and move it to, you know, Vietnam or um, one of these other countries. You're not just going to go over and move all of your equipment to India or the Philippines. You know, no. If the Chinese government gets wind of you moving your operation out of there, you might even lose American executives you have working over there. They might be held because it's not widely reported because everybody has this, you know, leftists have this love affair with communist countries. Are you aware that 
China will actually withhold your ability to leave the country as an American if they don't like something your company has done or if they don't like something you've said while you're in China, they'll just won't let you leave. And so you're not kidnapped. You're not a political prisoner. People just can't find you. You're just unable to be found. Your family members over in the United States might be like, huh, I haven't been able to get him by phone. Yeah, you know you haven't been able to get him because the Chinese are holding him because they didn't like something he said or they don't like something that the company's planning on doing. So our companies should be very, very careful how they telegraph their moves if they're thinking about leaving China and moving their manufacturing elsewhere because the communists ain't playing around with you. They don't have time. They don't want time. They just want to control you. We went over there and we took the cheap labor. We gave away our intellectual property and we made deals with the devil. And now that people are trying to pull out, some will get out clean. Some will be smart about their moves and they'll get out clean. But anybody who's not smart and doesn't understand who they're dealing with, they're going to have problems trying to get out of China. But I like it because guess who said that's what they were going to do? Promises made, promises kept. I'll probably get my little uh, campaign picture out and put it up on the wall here. Uh, Leave it up for a couple of days. Yeah, maybe for the rest of the week. Promises made, promises kept. The president has not delivered on immigration just yet, but we still have. um, And this is the last like minute of the show. But this I was supposed to get to this yesterday. Mexico City, Reuters is reporting that the Mexican finance ministry said on Thursday they blocked the bank accounts of 26 people for their alleged involvement in human trafficking as Mexico broadens their migration clampdown under intense pressure from U.S. President Donald Trump. Yes. Get it, Donald Trump. Make something happen. We're going into the 2020 election season, and I want to see promises made, promises kept on immigration. Thank you for the trade promises made, promises kept. I'll take that and I'll raise you an immigration promise. Let's get it done. That's the show for today. God bless from the heartland. I'm Stacey Washington. Back with you tomorrow.